Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Revelation, chapter 11, so grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. The book of Revelation... It is not a hard book to understand. Oh, you've heard that before. I've said it every week. And I'll continue to say it because many people, there's a misnomer in the church. I think that the book of Revelation is difficult to understand. And that it's spooky. And that it's scary. Don't study it, who can know anyway? So let's not even look into these things. The book of Revelation is not difficult to understand. The word revelation, if you're taking notes, I encourage you to do so. The word revelation means the unveiling. It doesn't mean the hiding. It doesn't mean the concealing. It's not esoteric. It means the unveiling. The unveiling of what? Jesus Christ. It's the pulling back of the Covers or the blankets or the sheets, if you will, and to, ta-da, here's Jesus. That's the book of Revelation. It's not difficult to understand. Now, I know that it's not hard to understand because the Bible gives us the divine outline. Oh, you've heard that before, too. Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. If you don't have it highlighted, memorized, underlined in your Bible, you should do so now. John is told to write the things which you have seen. And the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. This verse, this is why it's not hard to understand. Because this one verse gives us the outline of the entire book of Revelation. John is told to write the things which he has seen, the things which which are, and the things which will take place after this. It's a three-section outline. I like to call it a divine outline because it's given by God. Three sections. The first section, John is told to write the things which he has seen. What did John see? Chapter 1. Don't turn there. Just write this down. Look it up in your own time. John saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. John saw Jesus. Jesus is risen. John saw Jesus glorified there in chapter 1, the first section. The second section, John is told to write the things which are, which are the church age. That's chapters 2 and chapter 3, church history. Jesus gives John seven messages to seven churches given in chronological order from Ephesus to Laodicea. That's the second section. If you weren't here for all of this teaching, then you might want to stop by the tape library if you like. Tapes or CDs are available of all of the teachings on the book of Revelation. 
But this second section, write the things which are, John, church history, which brings us to the third section, the third and the final section. Write the things which will take place, metatauta, M-E-T-A, T-A-U-T-A. That's the Greek word for after this. After what? After the church age. Chapter 4, John is caught up in heaven. We see the rapture of the church in chapter 4. John is caught up in heaven, and you know when he was in heaven, he saw the throne of God in the midst of heaven, and there was lightning and colors and thunder and voices and praising of God there in heaven as John was raptured into heaven in chapter 4. And then in chapter uh, chapter 5, Jesus stands to take the title deed to the planet Earth from the hand of the Father, which brings us to chapter 6. Chapter 6 through 19, now remember, we're talking about the things which will take place, metatauta, after this. Chapter 6 through 19 is a time known as the Great Tribulation, or the time of Jacob's trouble. And we've looked at these, and we've studied all of these chapters so far. The Tribulation period is a time when God is pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. Why does the tribulation happen, Rodney? Because people reject Jesus Christ. And so God is pouring out his wrath in chapter 6 through chapter 19. And then in chapters 20 through chapter 21, we have Jesus chapter we say have Jesus coming back. He's ruling and reigning for a thousand years. He overthrows Satan. Then we see the new heaven and the new earth, and we all shall live happily ever after. Amen. One sister said she went, I'm assuming that means amen. <laughs> oh, yeah. She said, oh, yeah. Oh, who doesn't like a happy ending? If you don't like a happy ending, raise your hand. Good, because I think you're pretty sick. No, just kidding. Stop it. So it's not difficult to understand, you guys. If you take the simple chronological flow of the book, you will see a perfect outline of church history, the rapture, the tribulation, the millennial reign of Christ, the new heaven, the new earth, and then we are all living with Jesus. We have been, over the last several weeks, in this third and final section known as the tribulation period. Remember, the church is in heaven. We're on a seven-year honeymoon with the Lord. Meanwhile, back on the ranch, on earth, the tribulation has begun. Now, remember last week, track with me here. Remember last week in chapter 10, I told you that chapter 10, my voice is giving out on me, so forgive me, this is third service here. Um, Chapter 10 is a parenthetical portion of scripture, or what we call, I like to call, a divine intermission. Remember in chapters, in chapters 1 through 9, God has been pouring out his wrath. There's been, there's been, been, been cataclysmic events going on. Demons are coming from the bottomless pit. It's been awful. John has been getting this revelation. And there in chapter 10, God gives him a break. And the Lord speaks to him there in chapter 10 in this parenthetical or divine intermission. God gives him a rest, if you will. Well, this parenthetical portion actually goes from chapter 10 through chapter 11, verse 13. That's what we're going to look at this morning, chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Now, let me give you an outline. I 
most certainly encourage you to write these things down. I love outlines because they make things simple and easy for me to communicate to you, and I think it makes it easier. So I generally try to look for one if I can find one. Here in chapter 11, it divides nicely into three parts. We'll see the measuring of the temple in verses 1 and 2. The measuring of the temple. And then in verse 2 again, we'll see the measuring of the worshipers. Very interesting to me. The measuring of the temple and the measuring of the worshipers again in verse 2. And then last but certainly not least, in verses 3 through 13, we'll look at the two witnesses. So chapter 11 divides nicely into three parts. The measuring of the temple in verses 1 and 2. The measuring of the worshipers in verse 2 again. And then the two witnesses, we find that in verses 3 through 13. Well, this morning, here in chapter 11, we are going to cover two verses. This is a two-verse Sunday. We'll cover two verses this morning Because there is a lot to look at. So in chapter 11, what I'd like to do with you this morning is just simply read verses 1 through 13 and kind of give you the flavor of what we're talking about. Then we'll come back and deal specifically, particularly with our outline. So in chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, if you are there, say a hearty amen. Amen. And then I was given... A reed like a measuring rod, John says. And the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple. Very interesting. Note that. Leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles. And they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds out of their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, they must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy, and they have power over waters to turn them to blood. Sound familiar? And to strike the earth with all plagues. Sound familiar? As often as they desire. And when they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified, Jerusalem. Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into the graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice. It's going to be Christmas, gift-giving Because these two witnesses are dead, they'll rejoice over them and make merry and send gifts to one another. Because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Now after three and a half days in verse 11, the breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet. 
we're back. And great fear fell on all those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they ascended into heaven in a cloud and their enemies saw them. And in the same hour, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell in the earthquake. Seven thousand people were killed and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. And the second woe is passed in verse 14. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Give me your attention, if you will. First of all, the measuring of the temple. Notice John was given a reed. A reed. What's that? Well, a reed was an instrument of measuring. It was approximately 10 feet long, and it was used as a walking stick. This reed was given to John as a measuring stick, or almost like a tape measure, where you would just take your tape measure and unroll it as a measuring stick. So the angel stood and said, rise and notice this, measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. And that's intriguing to me. We'll talk about it in just a few minutes. John is told to measure the temple, measure the altar, and measure those who worship there. Measure the temple. Now keep in mind, as I told you, we're in that third and final section called the Great Tribulation. John is told to measure the temple. We're in the tribulation. That presupposes that there's going to be a temple in Jerusalem built and that it's going to be erected and that it is going to be a functioning temple. Remember, it's during the tribulation. Keep in mind this third and final section. John measured a temple. Well, that presupposes that there is a temple. Now, notice the reason that John is told to measure the temple for two reasons. Number one, measuring speaks of ownership. It speaks of ownership. It's like some couple of two years ago, we bought a house here in Apex, and the surveyor gave us, you know, the plot and showed us on the plot of the land, you know, what boundaries were mine and what my neighbors were and basically, you know, what portion of the grass am I responsible to cut and what portion are they? And some of you guys have property and you get some property and, you know, you get, you know, I've been to some of your homes. You've got beautiful property, many of you. And you, you know, you'll, you'll say to me, hey, look out that window. You see the, 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 the blue tag on the tree way back there. Well, that's where our property is. And then way over there is you see that other blue tag. Well, that's our property. And then right here and then right here that marks off our property. So it speaks of the boundaries of the land. It wouldn't be the first time that someone was told to mark off some land or to survey the land or to measure for ownership. Zechariah chapter 2. Read that in your own time. Zechariah sees a man with a measuring line in his hand. And the city of Jerusalem is measured just prior to being judged. Ezekiel chapter 40. Write that down. Look it up in your own time. The temple of God is carefully measured with a reed. And then if you fast forward in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, we see the new Jerusalem is being measured. Now, God tells John to measure, which means that God is claiming the measured object as his for his use, either for blessings or for judgment. 
God's saying, that temple, measure it, John, it's mine for my use, whether for blessings or for judgment. So measuring speaks of, number one, ownership, but also, number two, measuring speaks of the fact that God is evaluating the property. God is evaluating the property. Again, in Zechariah chapter 2, when the city of Jerusalem was measured, it was found to be spiritually lacking. The evaluation wasn't good. So John was told to measure the temple for the purpose of ownership and for the purpose of evaluation. John, measure the temple. Now, there are many scholars, listen, there are many scholars who believe that this temple that John is talking about is a spiritual, symbolic temple, speaking of the church. Oh, we know that Paul tells us that we are the temple of the living God that we are fitly framed together, we're all like stones, and we're pieced together in the right place that God chooses to fit us into this structure, into this house that is a habitation for God, a house that is a place where God can dwell, a house where there's a place where the Spirit of God can live within us as a body of believers. And yes, we know that, that we are the temple of the living God, Paul tells us, and Peter tells us about this spiritual house fitly framed together where the Spirit of God lives and dwells within us. That is true. And so there are many scholars who believe that this temple that John is told to measure is a spiritual, symbolic temple or the church, they might tell you. I don't agree with that position. I think there is a lot of problems with that thought. I believe that what John is told to measure is not a spiritual, symbolic temple or symbolic for the church, I believe that John is talking about a physical temple in the city of Jerusalem that will be rebuilt in the future. John's talking about a tangible building, a temple. Now, you got to understand something here. In order to understand end times prophecy, it is vital that you understand this whole concept of the temple. I mean, we think a church, our church is basically in a business park. I mean, we took, uh, I don't know, I mean, 20,000 square feet of this building or whatever, and we've got a church. And for us, look, we don't care where we meet as long as we can meet. We don't care. We met in a two-car garage with a trailer attached to it seven years ago. Y'all remember that? Some of you heard the story. And after that, we met adjacent to a gas station. I kind of like that, though. People filled up their car, and they could come into church and get filled up. It worked. Oh, we don't care. But see, this whole idea of the temple and the presence of God in the temple, in the Jewish mind, is very important. In order for for you to understand end times prophecy, you got to understand this idea of the temple. Now, you might remember... Let's talk about the first temple. You might remember the first temple was built by Solomon. It was the man after God's own heart, David. And David said, God, I want to build you a temple. David said, it's not right that I should live in this really nice place. 
in this palace, in this really cool place. And God, you live in a tent. You live in a tabernacle. He says, God, I want to build you a temple. I want to build you a beautiful place like the place I have. And God said to David, no, David, you can't build me a house. Why? Because you're a man of war. David, you have bloody hands. He said, you can't build me a house. But God said, David, you can't build me a house. But guess what, David? What, God? I'll build you a house. What? Yeah, I'll build you a house. Now, understand something. When God said to David, David, I'm going to build you a house, he wasn't talking about a physical structure. He wasn't talking about a palace. He was talking about a dynasty. He was talking about a lineage, a line of people that would exist forever and ever and ever and ever. God says, David, you can't build me a house, but I'll build you a dynasty. And he did, because we know that Jesus came from the line of David. And every person who puts their faith and their trust in Jesus links up into that lineage. And every Christian forever and ever and ever is of the line, the dynasty of David. So God says, David, you can't build me a house. I'll build you one. Now, what does that tell us? Just as a side note here, just as a side note, God said, David, no. But God said, David, I'm going to close that door. No. But David, I got something better for you. In other words, listen, when God closes one door, he will open another one. Better than you could have ever dreamed. Isn't that great? Now, now listen, God says this here. I have a plan for you. I want to give you a future. I want to give you a hope. My plans for you are good, God says, and they're not evil. So you might be here this morning, and I don't know why God is closing the doors every time I turn over here and the door is shut, and I, I go there and the door is shut, and I go there and bam, the door slams in my face. God, what's up? Well, what's up is that God has a plan for you, and it's better than the plan that you can think of. I mean, think about David for a second. Just think this through for a second. Could I mean, was David thinking, I don't think so. God, I'm going to build you a temple. I'm going to build you a palace. And David's thinking, you know, if I build God a palace, then he'll build me a dynasty. No. David said, God, I just want to build you a house because I love you. God, I want to build you a house because you are God, because you deserve the best. And and, and I'm living in this nice place. God, you're living in a shack. You got a tabernacle, a tent you can just take down and throw it up. It's filthy, it's dirty, it's stinky. I'm going to build you a nice place. That's all. And God, because I want to do that because I love you. He wasn't thinking, God, I'm going to do that because I think that you're going to build me a dynasty. No, he was just doing it because he loved God. And God said, because you're doing that, because you love me, I'm going to open up a door for you and I'm going to bless you in ways that you can never dream. David never have dreamt. He was just a shepherd boy out in the field doing the shepherd thing. That's all David was doing was God called him to do. That's all. And God said, now I'm going to bless you. David, you can't build me a house, but I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to build you a dynasty. We know that Solomon built the first temple in 1050 B.C. 
1050 BC. The first temple was built by Solomon in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. And then almost 500 years later, in 586 BC, the Babylonians came swooping down, you know, and destroyed the temple, and they destroyed the city of Jerusalem. And they carried the people of God into captivity for 70 years. And after 70 years expired, they were allowed to go back into the land and to rebuild their temple. And they did that under the leadership of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel built the second, say that three times, Zerubbabel built, Zerubbabel built the second temple in 536 BC. Now, which brings us to the third temple. Scholars debate whether there really was a third temple. I believe and consider Herod's temple to be the third temple. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. Or you may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.